0: I don't know about you but coming into Waitangi weekend I felt quite nervous for our nation just a sense of increasing hostility uh, in our nation and uh, Gillian and I woke up on Waitangi Day um, earlier than we anticipated. I left my alarm clock on, (laughs) confession. When we were first married my idea of a sleep in was that you set the alarm for six and then you woke up and then you went back to sleep until seven or eight because then you knew you were having a sleep in. But now that we've been married for forty years, that's gone out the window, you know. So, and um, so we were listening to the dawn service, and uh, we heard—I think it was, at the, was it was the prime minister reading First Corinthians thirteen—and we and we heard the prayers that were prayed. And I just came away, and something lifted. Off me. I just felt that anxiety lift, and I just felt what God started for this nation, He will bring to completion. We had uh, Jim and Sarah Chamberlain with us, and they just felt uh, that they should be at Waitangi. They weren't planning to be there, they were in Russell, I think, and then they realized that they could catch a ferry there. And so they were there, and it seems like God brought Christians from all over the nation to be there in Waitangi to pray. And what could have been a nasty situation, you know, God was there. And the message this morning, I'm going to talk about some of the heroes of faith, and the big idea is I want you to capture and have a sense of faith of what God is doing in our nation. I want you to catch something in your spirit that you don't feel intimidated, you know, that the enemy has come to kill, to rob, steal, and destroy. Prophetically, I had in my spirit that it almost seemed like the devil had overplayed his hand. With what had been happening and God was going to use it for his redemptive purposes. So, um, so at, the end of, at the end of the morning, I hope that you catch something of that in your spirit. Sorry, I should have introduced myself. Hi online in Turco. lovely to be with you. We love going to Turco because when we go to Turco, on the way home we go to Pocono Bacon, which is a spiritual experience right there, I tell you. Fantastic. Last time we were there, I have to tell you, we were being served, and we had these, you know, range of different sausages. We used to get six sausages between the two of us. Now we're only allowed four. So um, I thought, oh, maybe we haven't re- got, reached the threshold, you know, to get a free sausage. And I see them cooking away there. So the young lady comes up to serve us, and she says, is there anything else that you could help, help you with? I said, one of those sausages on that grill at the back would be very nice. <laughs> and I don't think she knew what to do, so she gave me one, and one for Jillian. So it was good. So it was great to be with you. <laughs> Anyone else online, even if you're not in Pocono, the home of ice creams, I understand that Jay once ate an 18-scoop ice cream, so I don't know how he did that, but you can see he's a man of substance, I'm telling you, so maybe that's a secret. So if you're online, anywhere in the country or overseas, lovely to be with you. So I'm Michael, married to the lovely Gillian, and uh, from the beginning of the year, Pastor Sheridan's been talking to us about prayer and also talking about, with that, about purpose, I really came into this year with two words, and that was um, peace and reconciliation. Actually, I think he was talking about peace and purpose, wasn't he? And then Jay, you were talking about just having a dream or a vision. And I said at the 9 a.m., now that I'm 66, I'm never sure whether I'm supposed to dream dreams or have visions. So I just have both, you know, I trust the goals it out. I'm not sure that I'm a young man or an old man. Gillian says that I'm a, I don't know what she says, uh, I'm an old man in a young man's body or a young man in an old man's body. Probably depends on the day. And, um, and Jay was talking about, I think, there's a fine connection between divine imagination and the realm of the supernatural. Yeah. And so if you can actually see it in the realm of the spirit, then you can take hold of that physically. And it's true even, isn't it, with natural things. I, I told the story about, I said for years to Gillian. I said, Jillian, I believe this is the year of the boat. And she bought me this little plastic boat to float in the bath. I thought, no, that's not what I'm believing for. And then one year in Island Bay, I was painting on the scaffolding. So it was like it was two stories up and then it drops, So it's like three stories. And I hate heights. I'm holding on with the scaffolding with one and painting with the other. And um, I felt God was saying, it's the year of the boat. So I came down off the scaffolding. I said to Gillian, "Jillian, I'm sure this is the year of the boat. And she said, well, you better get on and get it then. So I got on Trade Me. I had it bought that day. Hadn't seen it. I got someone to see it. It was in, um, I can't remember where it was, um, somewhere in Turangi, and, um, and we picked it up. So I trust this morning, if you can see something in the realm of the spiritual, that's very, very powerful. Yeah, and yeah. God's given us imagination. You know, we're created in God's image. We've got a little um, schnauzer. His name's Harley. I don't think he has dreams and visions. You know, I don't think he kind of thinks, oh, I wonder what they're going to give me for lunch when I get home or whatever. But, you know, we're created in God's image. We have that capacity, which is amazing. And Pastor Jan's been talking to us about how do you go directly to God? What does it actually look like? And so I've just felt led this morning to revisit some of the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. So that's where we're going. And hopefully we'll get through three or four of these this morning. So if you've got your Bibles online or in the room, feel free to head to Hebrews 11. And at the beginning of Hebrews 11, in the prologue, the first three verses, it kind of talks about what is it like to have a, a, a Christian or a spiritual worldview, a godly worldview. You know, the worldview is like the glasses that you look through. If I take these glasses off, you're not quite as sharp as you used to be, but if I put them on, oh, you look beautiful, beautiful. Even online, I'm sure you look beautiful. So, um, you know, worldview is important. And as I read this passage of Scripture, I think there are four thoughts that kind of help frame our worldview as Christians. And I want to encourage you, as we approach 2024, we're already a month in, right? I heard that this week is going to be the start of Lent, 40 days to Easter. So, oh my goodness, the year is disappearing quickly upon us. But I want to read Hebrews 11one to 3, and then reflect on these uh, questions, thanks to um, Hannah, who's got them up for us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for and the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reward. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. And what we see and what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And I think these are important questions for us to think about. If we can have that first one, please, Hannah, it would be great. What are you hoping for in 2024? Allow that divine imagination to be at work. I love this time of year because you can have toast and marmite and, and, and tomatoes and cheese. That's really good for dreaming dreams and having visions. So, you know, what is it that you're dreaming for? What, are you, what is 2024 all about? The second question is, what will it look like if, when it happens? What do you actually see? So it's one thing to be dreaming something, isn't it? But to actually visualize it and what does it look like? You now I could dream about having the year of the boat, but until I could actually visualize it and, and see what it looked like, it was still just a dream. The next question to think about is how it will testify to the goodness and faithfulness of God? Because you can be dreaming about all sorts of things, right? So if I'm dreaming for this year of the boat, well, how's actually God going to use that to further his kingdom purposes? How's he going to use it to draw me closer to him and and others? At that time in our lives, it was just a great time to bring our family together and it enabled our our kids and their friends to come and do things together so we could see something of God's redemptive purposes in it. Now we use it to go and catch snappers so we can eat, so I can see redemptive purposes in that as well. And then lastly... What will God do that only God can do? You know, where is that stretch that Jay was talking to about it? Where is that dimension of faith? So I think those are four questions from Hebrews 11, 1 to 3. That's that Christian worldview that we look at the world. And then I want us to go to four heroes of faith, if we, um, if we can this morning, in Hebrews 11. The first we're going to look at is Abel. And from Abel's life we learn about what is an acceptable sacrifice. I'm reading now from Hebrews 11 verse 4. It was by faith that Abel bought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. And God showed his approval of of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by the example of faith. I have to say to you that I've never liked this passage of scripture. Because as an orchardist, what is it that God's got against a nice offering of vegetables as over against you carnivores, you know? Those of you that like to get into those T-bone steaks or whatever it is, or our daughter's right into slow-cooking meat. So she cooked us this massive great brisket for 18 hours, and then she boated it. I thought that meant maybe she wrapped it up in tin foil and floated it in the bath, but no. It just kind of sat there and did its thing for another three hours, and then she sliced it up. And oh my goodness, I had stomachache. I've never had so much meat in all my life but what's wrong with an offering of some nice figs you know maybe a few dates some of those Jordanian dates you know maybe some olives I don't know some guavas or or, or, you know what what's the deal and we're not told we're not given all of the all of the details I mean maybe God wanted to model that this was a a blood sacrifice modeling the fact that Jesus gave his life for us that we may may have life in all of its fullness the main point of this seems to be is that Abel bought it with a right motivation. He bought his first fruits. He bought the best that he had to God, whereas Cain was just like, oh, I've got these olives left over from what, j ate, so we'll give those. And, you know, I've got these dates that didn't quite finish, so I'll give those. And not only that, but when God corrected Cain, Cain did not respond with repentance But he was responded, didn't he, with hostility and and frustration. And in the end, he takes it out and he kills his brother Abel. And so we learn a, a great lesson here about what is the importance of bringing a sacrifice. And even more than that, what is it to respond to God with repentance and faith when God rebukes us and says, Hey, Michael, you know, you need to do better in this area or this wasn't really your best sacrifice. So what's God asking you and me to sacrifice, to place on the altar? that it might bring us into a closer relationship and a closer relationship with God and with one another. You know, there's a saying that you can't always control what happens to you, but you can always control how you respond to it. So sometimes things happen in life. I don't know about you, but sometimes I say to Gillian, the phrase that I use is I'm a bit miffed. Do you know what that means? I'm a bit frustrated. I'm a bit angry. and I'm going to be a bit angry and frustrated for probably two or three days, and then I'll be all right. But how do we work through that and get to that stage with God, you know, I'm sorry. Lord, I hand this over to you and allow God to actually work in those circumstances. I want to share a story with you when I was at university, I just finished my horticultural science degree. I was going to head overseas because I wanted to change the world with aid and development and I thought well I have to go to the UK and learn something about tropical horticulture because I know how to grow kiwi fruit and apples and pears and boysenberries and, and raspberries but they're not going to be much good for the breadbasket of the world, right? It might be important to know how to grow rice, do you think, and legumes and some of those. So that was the plan. And um, My family called me home because my dad had had three heart attacks and two strokes by that stage, and said, we really need you at home to look after the family orchard. We had 18 full-time staff, 12 part-time staff. It was a big operation. So I came home for, I thought, six months, and it ended up being six years, and I was a bit miffed. I was a bit frustrated. I was a bit angry. God, what are we doing here in Manakau? Manakau, M-A-N-A-K-U. Manukau between Oteki and Levin, population 400 on a good day, counting the outlying area. God, I could be anywhere in the world and I'm here in Manukau. And God really challenged me about my attitude. And so I decided to go in for the Rights and um, Young Orchardists of the Year competition, a bit like Skeller Up Young Farmer, but for orchardists. And so Gillian came home from work one day and she found in our backyard, I put all these big strainer posts in. And every night I would practice tying wire and doing the knots, you know, so that your hands get hardened and you can crank it over so it's nice and smooth. And I studied for six months for the regional final. And I won the regional final and got to the national final and came second. I think I was even on television briefly, probably only briefly. I won an orchard sprayer, which was huge, wrapped in, came wrapped in glad wrap, which was fantastic because we sold it and went to Europe, so that was good. <laughs> so, but the thing was, when my attitude was right... Then the orchard sold. But I got sold with the orchard to do another year because the person who bought it, we call him a Lampton Key farmer, had money but no expertise. So I was sold with the property to do the first year with him. But my attitude was right then and God released that. I wonder what God's saying to you in that area of your life as he is in me and continues to speak to me about. What is an area where God is wanting sacrifice? And maybe you're kind of, you know, you're just... <coughs> pushing against that. Maybe you're in a season and and you're not happy. It's it's important to take hold of God in every season, isn't it? I've learned when I can take hold of God in a difficult season, then God can transition me to another season. So what does that look like for you? The second person we want to look at this morning is Enoch. And Enoch learned how to live each day as a gift from God. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 11 verses 5 to 6. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he will reward those who sincerely seek him. Why Enoch? Hey, why Enoch and the heroes of faith? How much do you know about Enoch? Can anyone tell me? There's not a lot, is there? We know he's 365 years old. That seems pretty impressive. We know that he's the great-grandfather of Noah. We know that he's in the genealogy that led um, to Jesus being born. But we don't know a lot else about Enoch. But we do know that he learned how to take each and every day as a gift from God. You know, 365 years seems a long time, but a lot of other people around that time were living for 700 years So maybe Enoch was taken home earlier than what he expected. And it's just a reminder, isn't it? Pastor Sheridan is always saying to us, what is Pastor Sheridan always saying to us? Tomorrow is never guaranteed. So it's living each day is a gift from God, isn't it? Trusting God with each day. You know, God's not impressed with our achievements. Sometimes I find myself guilty of saying, God, this is what I'm doing Would you like to come and join me for the ride? And if you blessed it, that that would be really good. Am I the only one who does that? Oh, I think I am. (laughs) I'm more of a sinner than I thought I was amongst these holy people. You know, instead of asking God, what is it that you really want me to do? I'm sure online you'd never do that either, would you, in Tuakau? No, that beautiful country where you are grows beautiful onions in Tuakau. Lovely. And lots of other things as well. Don't let them build too many houses on that good, productive land. So what's God wanting you to trust him with? My wife, Jillian and I are going to have been, on the 21st of April this year, we're going to have been married for 40 years. So um, that's pretty good, isn't it? And Ray and Wendy are going to be married for 40 years this weekend. So, yeah, they're a bit ahead of us. I said to Wendy, we're going to benefit from your increased, you know, knowledge and experience of those few extra months. It was funny because... Jillian's mum and stepdad married about six months after us, and it was a second marriage for both of them. Jillian's dad died when she was 14, so he said, well, if you guys ever need any kind of you know, wisdom or whatever, just come to us, because we've been married longer than you guys. So they never did. I don't know why, but that's how it goes. So we haven't lived life perfectly by any stretch of the imagination. We've made lots of mistakes, but we have tried to say yes to Jesus along the way. And I just wanna share some of the examples of that and just encourage you in this season of your life, what is it that God is wanting you to say yes to? And how will that unlock God's plans and purposes for your life? When we were at Bible college, we were planning to head on overseas missions. We were gonna use our horticultural and medical skills, and we were gonna go somewhere in the third world and make a difference. And um, we were asked by our national leader, Pastor Nick Klinkenberg at the time, if we would go to Paraparamu. And uh, Paraparamu is a little bit bigger than Manukau, but not a lot then. It's, it's all going to be a city, I think, just like Levin, the way it's growing. And so we went there to pastor a small church and to te- teach at Tanikau Bible Training Centre. And so we did that and, and said yes to Jesus. And that's where we met Pastor Sheridan and Pastor Jan. So I'll come back to them a little bit later. And uh, towards the end of our time there, um, towards the end of the 1990s, uh, I went to, there was a real revival happening in Wellington, um, the Breakthrough Conferences, and I said in the 9am, you know when revival is happening, when people get to church an hour early to get in. Have you ever been to church an hour early to get in? Anyone? So, (laughs) yes, well you've seen revival then, because that doesn't normally happen. (laughs) And um, as part of that, we were doing some prayer walking around the city of Wellington, and we were prayer walking through Glover Park, which if you know Wellington, it's, been, it's kind of been modernised now, but it was quite a seedy part of Wellington, where teenagers would hang out and smoke dope, and, and there would often be um, you know people um, who would be beaten up, and it wasn't a good place to be. So we were prayer walking through there. And I felt God saying to me, Michael, you'll be here in a year's time, to which I replied, Get behind me, Satan. Because I was a country boy, born and bred. You know, Prime was a stretch for me. I came from Manukau. I said, God, if I'm ever in a city, I want one section between me and the rest of my neighbours, you know, so I'll be in the middle. So I'll need five sections. You'll really need to kill a lot of cattle on a lot of hills for me. And so I came home and shared it with Jillian. We wrote down half an A4 page of all the reasons we couldn't go to Wellington. And uh, we arrived one year and one month later. <laughs> So saying yes to Jesus and just trusting him. We were living in Wellington and um, we thought, gosh, you know, we're going to have an earthquake because Wellington's the earthquake city, right? So we'll have an earthquake. So we were prepared for that. We had an emergency kit with everything in it. And then we were asked after 10 years if we'd go to Christchurch. And we were married in Christchurch. And we said when we were married, gosh, if we ever get a chance to go to Christchurch, if God's in that, we'd really like to do that. And so we said, yes, we'll go from Wellington to Christchurch, and so we did that. And um, it was hard because my mum wasn't well at the time, and um, she was living in Levin, and I think my sister who lived in Wellington kind of felt, oh, it's all right for Michael. He's nipping down to Christchurch. Now I get to look after mum. So that was difficult. Our son was living at home because he was a student, and students live at home these days because it's cheaper, right? So we had to say to him, Jonathan... Mum and Dad are leaving home, so you are too, out the door. So so we shifted him into his flat about midnight before we caught the ferry the next day at 6 o'clock in the morning or something. It was like, God, I wish you'd do things with more time, you know? Um, and so we gave them our emergency kit. Students, right. Spaghetti, five years old, no problem. Baked beans, seven years old, no problem. Hungry students. I took out the cat and the dog meat and put it to one side. I thought students could be hungry. I don't want them to be led into temptation. <laughs> so, um, and so we got there. We got there in the, in the February to September, we had the first earthquake. The following February, we had the second earthquake. We had floods. We had fires. We had terrorist attacks. But we knew it was where God wanted us to be. You know, when you say yes to Jesus, whatever it looks like in your circumstances, you can trust God in those circumstances you find yourself in. And then after nine and a half years, we transitioned that church to a younger couple, Josh and Liz Van Buerkel. Josh is going to be one of the speakers at at the Activate Accelerator Conference. He's a phenomenal speaker. You really want to come and hear him. He's very funny too. Um, So you'll really enjoy him. And we came to Hamilton. The reason we came to Hamilton is I taught Pastor Sheridan and Jan. Um, at Bible College at Teneco, Pastor Sheridan was looking out the window, fixated on some sort of green colour in the trees, the pangas and things, and Pastor Jan was taking all the notes. I think she used to type them up and give them to Pastor Sheridan. Don't know how that worked, but anyway. And so we felt we'd just like to come and put our weight behind them. And I say to Pastor Sheridan, my job description is to do whatever you want me to do. And if I'm doing something you don't want me to do, tell me and we'll do what you want me to do. And um, so that's why we're here in this season of our life but it was just about saying yes to Jesus. And for you, what does that look like in this season for your life? You know, Enoch did that, and he's one of the heroes of faith, not because of all the amazing things that he did, but because he was a man who said yes to Jesus. He was a man who lived each day as a gift from God. So what does that look like for you and for me? The next person we're going to look at this morning is Noah. Noah in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. You still with me online? That's good, Yep. Um, So Noah trusted God when life didn't make sense. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received righteousness that comes by faith. You know, I don't think Noah had necessarily ever experienced rain before. I think he must have known what rain was when it came. He lived in a place where there doesn't seem to be any large body of water. I don't think he had any experience as a carpenter to build a large ocean-going vessel. Can you imagine what it must have been like for him to be building this huge ocean-going vessel in the middle of nowhere, no ocean or anything close? Can you imagine the ridicule he would have had? I was thinking about, you sometimes see people build trailer sailors in the back of their houses. Have you ever seen that? And then it just gets larger and larger and larger and they build other buildings around and you think, oh my goodness, they're never going to get it out. Of there, You know, it must have been that a thousand times worse. And yet Noah is rewarded because he trusted God even when life didn't make sense. How could he collect two of every kind of animal species together and put them in this large ocean-going ocean going vessel? So Noah is listed amongst the heroes of faith because he trusted God even when life didn't make sense. Even when it wasn't logical. Even when he didn't appear, appear to be the, the right person. Maybe you've thought that sometimes. God, I'm not qualified to do this. But actually, God is more interested in your availability than your qualifications. And when your heart's right, God will use him. And your lack of qualifications sometimes can be a real testimony to God's goodness and God's faithfulness. His decision was to, to live by faith and not made sense with the natural mind. And it's interesting that his decision not only affected his generation but the generations that followed him and ultimately all of humanity. And I felt this is a word of knowledge this morning that we'll pray into the end of our gathering. The decisions that you make sometimes are so difficult because they're not just about you, but they're about your family and the generations that follow you. So sometimes I think when you find, why is this so difficult? Pray into this. It may be so difficult because the decision that you're making, the breakthrough you're looking for, is not just about you. It's about your children and ultimately your children's children. And that's why it's so difficult. And for Noah, this decision of obedience that he made was not just about him. It was not just about his family, but ultimately it was about all of humanity. You know, it, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for his obedience. And so we need to trust God with those decisions. I want to share with you a, a story. Um, on this uh, coming Wednesday, it's Valentine's Day. So Jillian and I normally buy... A card on Valentine's Day, we just buy one card. Some might say it's because we're cheap, but we buy one card and the rules of engagement are that you write on the card without reading what the other person said, right? And then you put it into the envelope and then you can pull it out and then you can read what you both said. But it's also, um, it's also the, our grandson Damien, he would have been 10 years old uh, this Valentine's Day. Um, When when Damien was born, he was born with his intestines on the outside of his body. We knew that that was going to be the the case. And so when he was born, they put him into a plastic bag of saline solution up to his chest, which Grandpa wasn't too keen about. It's like, I'm not sure that I like my grandson being in a plastic bag filled up with salt solution. And um, then as soon as they were able, they made an incision in his belly button and they put all his intestines back inside him and they stitched his belly button up. So the family joke was... Well, Damien doesn't have a belly button, just like um, Abel didn't have a belly button. Adam, sorry, didn't have a belly button. I said no, I didn't like the 90s. <laughs> so um, Annie he continued. He was in the neonatal ward for six weeks, and Catherine, our daughter, and her partner, um, Peter, they chew fed him for three months. And he just went from strength to strength. He overcame lots of medical obstacles. And when he was 18 months, we just really rejoiced as a family that he, had, you know, he was past the critical point that he actually had overcome all the hurtical, hurdles that he had faced. And we just really thank God for his goodness and faithfulness. And then he tragically died, if you know our story. And um, I've said it before, the longest walk in my life was carrying this little bundle you know, from the, from the um, accident and emergency down to the mortuary of Wellington Hospital. It was just absolutely horrible. Hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. And how do you trust God with that? You know, that's one of those times when life doesn't make sense. And we just had to cling on the character and nature of God. God, we don't understand why this has happened, but we understand that you're a good and faithful God in a way that we can't see now. Lord, you'll turn all things to good for those who love you, work according to your purposes. Many years later I had a dream and I I dreamt I was in heaven and I had this tap on my shoulder and I turned around and there was this big strapping young man there about 18 who said, hello Grandpa, I'm Damien. I just felt that was God's assurance that God had taken care of him and um, you know that that situation we trusted God with, that God had come through. And friends, whether you're online or in the room, you've all got stories like that. And I felt this morning's message was about those areas of your life where it doesn't make sense. <clears throat> Trust on God's character and nature. And believe that God can bring something redemptive out of something that is so tragic, even though you can't see it right now. Just as the team comes, the last person I'll talk about briefly this morning is Abraham. And he had a promise from um, he had a promise from God that was tested. And that's often the way, isn't it? You know, God our promises and, and his promise was Isaac if you know the story it 's in Hebrews eleven eight to nineteen I 'm not going to read it for the sake of time but they trusted that this child of promise that they would have descendants as numerous as the sands on the seashore and then it seemed as though Isaac was going to be removed from them how could that ever be a possibility I remember a friend of ours Mike Rob who's a bit of a character if you know Mike Rob he described life you know Mike Rob don 't you Margo he described Life is like a rope. If I got a rope and I put it from where Dylan is and I took it across the stage, across here, I took it back three or four times, do you get the picture? It would be quite a long piece of rope, wouldn't it? I'm not sure how long that would be. Um, Say it's 30 meters or something long. And then on the end of the rope, if I just wrapped a little bit of insulation tape, about so big, on the end of it. And Mike Rob would say, our life is like that little bit of insulation tape here on earth. And God's plans and purpose for all of eternity is like the rest of the rope. And sometimes we just make sense of life just in terms of the little bit here and now, and we lose the bigger picture of what God is doing for all of eternity. So Abraham had to take hold of God's promise of what God was doing now in terms of what God would do for all of eternity. This fun final story. Um, Jillian and I struggled to conceive our first son, Jonathan. We wanted to get pregnant when we were at Bible college in our first year, and it didn't happen until our third year of Bible college. After lots of operations on, and as students, we didn't have any money. That's another story I won't tell today. And then we were ready to have our second child, and we thought, well, we've, we know how this works now. This will be sweet. And it still wasn't happening, and we were right on the edge of um, IVF. And I was kind of, what are we going to do with all of these fertilized embryos? You know, we have to implant them eight at a time. Now, how many children are we going to have? And thinking about all of this, and it was $5,000 a cycle back then. Someone said it's $18,000 a cycle now, completely unfunded. So how do you find that when you're a Bible college student? Well, we weren't Bible college students by this time with no money. And... Um, a friend of ours said to us, well, what do you think about adoption? And Gillian thought about adoption, but I'd never really thought about adoption. And so we put our profile in for an open adoption, and along with others. And we prayed, Lord, if you want us to have this baby in our, in our home, we're open to that. But Lord, if she's better to stay with her birth mum, then let's do that. Or if there's another family, you know, let's do that. And long story short, Catherine came to our family. We really believed that she was a gift from God, from us. And we had real revelation that God had brought her into our our family. And things went well. And when she got to um, 11 years old, we had our three years from hell. Some of you would have heard parts of this story. It was just a nightmare. When she would climb out of windows, every window that she would climb out of, I would put a window stay on it until all the windows in the whole house had window stays. She was living in abandoned buildings and I was breaking into abandoned buildings to steal her clothes before someone else stole her clothes. She was running across motorways. We had her picked up by the police, took out a section 81 and um, we saw her at the police station and she said to us, you had me picked up by the pigs. We said, yes, we did because we can't guarantee your safety. So we're going to put you in the hands of someone who could. And uh, it was just a nightmare. But now she's How old is she? 29. And um, she's an amazing, empathetic young lady. She's an assistant manager. She loves slow-cooking meat, like that big piece of brisket. She loves hot sauces. And um, we can just see, you know, the goodness and the faithfulness of God is how he's been working in her life. And God will do that for you as well, as he's done for us. You know, sometimes the promises that you've been given are challenged. Our promises for Catherine were challenged. When she was 18, I've said this before, she said to us, I was a little S-H-I-T when I was growing up, wasn't I? To which we replied, yes, you were, darling. But we loved you to bits anyway. We had a good laugh. But maybe you're in the stage where it doesn't seem funny right now. You're not ready for a good laugh. You're right in the midst of the battle for your family or extended family. I just want to encourage you that, you know, the promises of God are often contested, but God will overcome. God overcame uh, for Abraham with the provision of Isaac, and Abraham would have the descendants as numerous as the stars on the seashore. It's an ongoing battle for us, for Catherine with her faith in Jesus, but she'll often ring up and say, hey, mum and dad, will you pray? So we're happy to pray, but you do know when it answers that that was God answering that prayer. Oh, yeah, dad, that's okay. And so that's where we are on that journey with her. So I want to encourage you wherever you are on that journey.